Before we get to this month's episode, I just want to tell you about a new book I recently published. Evidence-Based Policing The Basics is a short, readable book for police officers and students that I've tried to write in English, you know, not academic speak. Whether or not you buy the book, you will find resources for each chapter at evidencebasedpolicing.net, evidence-based policing there being all one word. If you are a university or college instructor or police academy staff, you can sign up for free at the instructor link at evidencebasedpolicing.net. There'll be a slight verification process, but then you have access to over 30 videos for your in-person or online classes, PowerPoint slide decks, and multiple choice question banks for every video and chapter. The website again is evidencebasedpolicing.net, and the book is Evidence-Based Policing The Basics. Bridges in Crime is all about conversations with influential thinkers in the police service and leading crime and policing researchers. Vera Bumpers is the police chief for the Houston Metro Transit Authority Police Department. She served as the president of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives and is this year's winner of the Woman Law Enforcement Executive of the Year Award. We talk about mentorship, community outreach, and her role encouraging other women in policing. Welcome to Reducing Crime. I'm Jerry Ratcliffe. My guest this month is the irrepressible Vera Bumpers. For more than 30 years, Vera has served with the Metro Transit Authority Police Department in Houston, Texas, amassing firsts throughout her career. She was the first woman in the department, and both the first woman and the first African American, to achieve every rank in the organization. Chief Bumpers has served as the national president of Noble, the national organization of black law enforcement executives is on the Board of Trustees for the IACP, and served on their Women's Issues Task Force. She's also an active member of the NAACP. One of her top career priorities has been advancing opportunities within policing to other women and minorities, and she has a national reputation as a mentor and a coach for other women within policing. She holds a Bachelor's in Criminal Justice, an MA in Education, and graduated from the FBI National Academy. Locally, Vera serves as a commissioner on the Commission Against Gun Violence, chairs the Houston Community College Police Academy Advisory Board, and is a board member for the Houston Recovery Center. She also participates in a plethora of local community outreach programs. I mean, seriously, she would make Mother Teresa feel like an underachiever. I sat down with Vera at the IACP Annual Conference in Dallas, Texas, where she had just won the Woman Law Enforcement Executive of the Year Award from the National Association of Women Law Enforcement Executives, also known as Norley. Family is everything, right? Yes, it is. I tell the officers that all the time. So do not put anything before your family. So wellness is such an important thing these yes, days, isn't it? Yes, It's as if anything been changed yes. since the murder of George Floyd, yes, and it's just been, everybody's been working hard. Everybody. How's it been with Metro Transit Police? Well, I want to say it's been good, and that's because I try to stay engaged and pay attention. I guess one of the things that I look at is if we have people wanting to leave and we don't. Right. So my uh, retention has been good and we're still hiring. And when I interview people, I always ask, why did you choose this department? And they will normally say, I heard good things. The officers say they like it. My friend works here and they love working here. There you go, that's it. 
That's You're winning right there, yeah, aren't I'm you? I'm winning. I'm winning. Uh, that's why I feel comfortable saying I think it's going good. So I've been doing research for the last couple of years with the Scepter Transit Police in Philadelphia. Uh -huh. You know, they, they see city police, they see municipal police departments. I don't think they appreciate sometimes what a tough job transit policing really is. I agree. How much community policing is involved. Yes. Because I'm in, working in Kensington and you have a whole community that lives in the transit system. You maybe don't want them to mm -hmm. be in the transit system, mm -hmm. but I've seen cops who are on first name terms with everybody, everybody. in that <laughs> station, know you know? They know It's them. real community policing. Yes. And I don't think people appreciate that about transit policing as much as they should. And you're right. And you see it because our, our customers are on the move. We're not going to a house, driving through neighborhoods. We have customers who are utilizing our system from all over Houston. Right. And so everybody's different. I think you have to make sure that officers are comfortable no matter who it is, treating people with respect, treating people right, that doesn't have anything to do with the community they come from. No. Right? But it's just being It's a cross-policing, It's a cross-policing, yeah. but just being comfortable. No matter who you are, I'm treating you like a person. I respect you. You know, you give respect and you get respect. So I just think that we have a unique situation. I always say we're specialized police. It's quite fascinating. And you've been there, I don't want to age you because, I mean, you, <laughs> a long you, look, time. you look like a 30-year-old, but you've been there 35 years, yes, haven't you? Yes, 35 plus now. <laughs> yes. That's fantastic. Yes, I have. Uh, if I read correctly, you were the first woman to achieve every single rank in the department. Yes. Whenever you achieved a new rank, you were the first woman yes, there I every was. single time. Yes, I was. And that's, in a way, that's kind of wonderful mm -hmm. and congratulations. But honestly, it's a bit of an indictment of policing as well, isn't it? It is. It is, but you know what? I like to look at it as a positive, saying that even though I was the first, it really doesn't matter unless there are numbers following me. So it could be an indictment, but the fact that I look back now and there are so many women who are coming in this profession and moving up the ranks, I mean, not just my department, but other departments, and it's good to see. I think we could focus on why did it take so long as 2022 and but if we just say, you know, let's just celebrate those small victories. And that's what I choose to do. We can't change the past and life doesn't come with an eraser. But what we can say is, you know what, we're on the right trajectory now. Let's make the most of it. Are we on the right trajectory? It feels, no, come on, it feels painfully slow. So I yeah. absolutely. You I, think I, it's slow? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, I mean, if you think about it, what can we do about it? I mean, we, yeah. we're working toward it. It's slow. This is a Titanic we're turning around. But if we don't project that positivity and that, that optimism to the officers and to say it's all of our responsibilities to make sure we try to bring diverse people into this organization. They're just not mine. It's officers. So these are the people you'll be working with. So it's just as much your responsibility to go out there and promote the profession, promote your organization and be positive about it. Vera, you're the perfect guest to have on the podcast because your <laughs> your glass more than half full. And, oh, I'm a, and I, I've been in policing now uh, 38, nearly 39 years in some fashion now, and I'm a miserable bastard. So I mean, you're perfect <laughs> to have. <it. laughs> I, oh, I don't goodness. think you're miserable. I think you you know you just may say that. Just spend five more minutes with me. Trust me. <laughs> no, but I remember thinking back in in England in East London in the, in the, in the mid 1980s. And I thought the women make a really good contribution. They really are doing a, perfectly good at this job, if not better, certainly than I was right. as a 19-year-old. 
and yet, you know, we're still only in the United States up to, what, 13% of yeah, law 13%. enforcement of women? And in leadership positions, you guys Probably all know each other pretty much on first-name first terms, name basis, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. We, I get excited every time I see a woman that it ascends through the ranks to chief or assistant chief. And I, if I see it in the media, I always post it on LinkedIn. Congratulations. They'll probably, they don't know me and I don't really know them, but I'm celebrating you oh, from afar. come on. People know your name. <laughs> I know. I mentioned fear of bumpers. Everybody knows your name. <laughs> well, I celebrate them because I'm like, I'm excited. We have another person who's yeah. rose through the ranks and worked hard to get there. But you're right. I mean, I know it's a slow turn, but I do try to celebrate the positives and the victories. Yeah and you're involved in the 30, 30 by 30, 30 initiative and you were here with Norley yes. and you had a breakfast yes. morning no it was yesterday. yesterday let everybody know what Norley is National Association of Women Law Enforcement Executives and, and why were you at the breakfast I was awarded the 2022 Woman Law Enforcement Executive of the Year and thoroughly well deserved yes I'm so humbled and honored because that's a selection that's done by your peers yeah. So to be selected by my peers is definitely an honor, and I'm humbled by it, and definitely appreciate it. It's like a Motorola. People's Choice Award, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, uh, You've got yourself a reputation as being a very much a mentor to other people. Yes. Did you just fall into that? Was it something you actively chose? What? I think what I what just do you get out of it? I celebrate when I see the women who, you know, whether. I know I'm mentoring them or I don't, or just maybe I say something that is inspirational to them. I just get excited to see that something click and that it factor and they, wow, yeah, let me keep it moving. And I always tell people, if you think you can leave and go to somewhere perfect, don't go because you're not perfect and you'll mess it up if it is perfect. Yeah. Stop complaining, stick around and fix it. Stick, stick around and fix it. So just to see people who I maybe just again said a word to or have been aggressively talking to on a consistent basis to ascend through the ranks. It's just exciting for me. So that's what I get out of it. I do believe that we're all on this earth for a purpose. Oh my goodness. I do. You are. <laughs> I am and you are too. So this, what you're doing is a positive. I, I do think that hearing from different leaders, and that's why it's one of the things I said at the breakfast, I am so thankful that those who have retired still come back to pour into those who are trying to ascend to the seat. It's hard to explain to people who are not in policing. And I think people join policing for many different yes, reasons. Yes, I agree. I think if you go to some of the smaller departments in very rural places, you know what? You join policing because there are no other jobs no in town. Job. You know, the Walmart shut down, the factory shut down. There may not be anything else. But I think for a lot of people in the job, wherever you are, and I've worked in El Salvador to New Zealand, it really is a calling. It's a calling. And when people abuse that and do things that are wrong, cops are the best for calling out bad oh, policing. Yes. They, they absolutely are. Because they they, they're in it for the calling. Exactly. Because I always tell people, when you do something that tarnishes our brand, this is our brand. So it affects more than just you. Not only does it, it affects your family, it affects your coworkers, it affects anyone that's, who wears a patch that says police. And didn't we see that with George Floyd? Not yes. only were we seeing protests, obviously in Minneapolis, mm -hmm. but we saw protests across the country. We saw protests in other countries. Yes. And what does that tell you about the effect of shitty policing? I mean, god awful policing, yes. a murder, a murder over eight nine minutes, and how that affected how people thought about this whole profession yes. worldwide. That's why you saw leaders doing things like coming out immediately. We're looking at our policies. You saw leaders yeah. taking a knee. You saw leaders sending a message to their department saying, this is what we will not do. 
So I sent out an email to my department and said, and I called it, I said, this is, in my opinion, this was a murder. Yes. And I wanted you to know where we stood. But I also realized that Chauvin was a field training officer. So I immediately called a meeting with all of my field training officers and said, what happened was wrong. Yep. And I want you to know that new trainees that come in that I will share with them that they have a duty to intervene. Right. So the example you said is important. And then the other thing that I saw is it affects the children. You know, I have a, a granddaughter, and so just to hear, oh, the police are bad. I mean, you remember, everybody used to love the police. Mm -hmm. I talked to a young lady who was in Minnesota who was a sergeant, but she said how it affected her daughter. Right. And so from that, I sent out an email. Anybody, if you have a daughter or granddaughter that you would like, I'm going to host a dinner just for girls. Several did respond, and I hosted a dinner. At the dinner, they dressed up. I had a red carpet. I put a crown. I bought crowns. Oh, I my gave goodness. them gift bags with Chick-fil-A gift cards and movie gift cards. Can't I had a lot of donations. Chick-fil-A, Chick you can't, Chick go, can't wrong. go wrong. <laughs> and so I had dessert to a very nice five-star restaurant. They had a full course meal. I wanted to talk to them. I said, how do you feel about your parent being in law enforcement or your grandparent? Sure. And just to hear some of their responses was yeah. very interesting. You know, I just shared with them just how proud we were of them serving and protecting in the communities in Houston. I now parents are like, they want to know when you're going to, where else you're taking them? When are we going to do it again? Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> now you've started a thing. Right, but I knew it was because of that situation. Obviously being in Philadelphia, it's a very diverse city. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to a lot of police officers. The negative backlash was bad on policing, but it was particularly bad on the black police officers. Yes. Especially, and for them, from their, their own families which I think they really struggled with. I think it's eased off a bit, yes. but only the passage of time. But I, I'm still going on ride-alongs and I'm still doing walk-alongs. I'm working mm -hmm. in the Philly cops and other cops. I was just down in Norfolk, Virginia. It's eased, but it's not better. It's not better. And they haven't forgotten. How has that been? I mean, because you obviously have a lot of black yeah. cop officers yeah. working for you. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's about communicating. We have to talk about it. Right. It's an elephant in the room for a lot of people. They get uncomfortable when we start talking about because when we take the blue uniform off, the, a lot back in the day you would hear people say, we're all blue. No, we're not. Mm -hmm. When we take the uniform off, this is what I do. It's not who I am. Yeah. And I live in the community just like anybody else. And so Being I black and blue thing. is incredibly tough. Yes, it is. To this day. But we have to talk about it. We have to talk about it in, to, in the community. We have to talk about it inside our departments. And I know a lot of times officers say, here we go again. When you think back, Rodney King, we, okay, we're right back there again. You know, with Rodney King, it was culture diversity. Now, because of the, uh, what happened with Chauvin, now we're focused on implicit bias. Yeah. So are there biases that you know nothing about? Again, it's just a work in progress that we just have to keep working at. I don't know if it'll ever be perfect. But as you have new recruits come in, I think it starts at that academy level sharing and talking you know i of course i like i said i'm a black female i have a black son a black daughter of course and i have those conversations with them i mean i'm not immune to it none of us are right just because we wear the uniform but i still think that if we share with our co-workers they can't they don't know so this is what's going on in our community these are the conversations we have in our home about law enforcement because i guarantee you many officers 
or hear the negativity from even their family members about I know, law enforcement. it's tough, it's tough. So as somebody who's been a mentor, and you've been doing this for, don't know, age you, but for a few years, yeah. like yeah. I said, yeah? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of years. <laughs> I mean, I know you've, you've moved up in ranks, but are the sorts of things that you're helping, especially you've got a very strong position helping women in policing. Right. Are the sorts of problems and issues that women are dealing with, have they changed over the decades? Are you, they are they dealing with, are you, are there kind of some things that are now settled or are they, yeah, what, what, what's changed? Well, one thing's changed is that now we have EEO. So for those outside the United States, EEO is, uh, what's it? Equal employment opportunity. Thank but you, that, that's under it. that falls, you know, you cannot discriminate or uh, you cannot harass. So we talk a lot about that where we didn't have that, those avenues to go talk to somebody if we were, felt we were being uh, sexually harassed or discriminated. Some young women, have, they have no idea what it was like back in the they day, do they? They have no idea. They I keep telling no my idea. students that I remember life before the internet and they just yes. stare at me like I'm an alien. <laughs> yes. Employee, you did, we didn't have employee assistance, employee relations. Now there's so many different areas. Now you have the diversity, equity, inclusion. We didn't have anything like that. Right. And they're making sure departments are looking at policies, what we're doing, making sure we're doing it right and that we're sensitive to some of the issues that may be confronted to different to employees based on race, gender. Uh, you didn't have, like I, last year, I think it was, uh, appointed someone as my LGBTQIA liaison. We didn't have that. No. I think so, you forgot the plus. I think there's a few more characters yeah, in there. I, I can't keep I up. Can't, I, can't, I can't either, but that's Much why. love to everybody in that community, but man, it's getting complicated. And one of the reasons that's why you have somebody, so we can make sure we're saying it right and doing it right. right. Okay, is this yeah. what? So they can help educate us, right? So I think that's a good thing that departments have someone who's a liaison yeah. to make sure that we are not being offensive to anyone and we're serving everybody of are, are we doing enough? Are we doing it right for women in policing? I think that we can do more. And I think we need to do a better job of educating the men we work with. That's right. We have all these conferences for women. You're saying that we're not perfect. <laughs> but we need, to, we need to make sure the men understand this is there's a job you know, for life yeah and, and then we need to make sure that they are part of helping us recruit this 30 percent by 2030 yes we need them to help us we can't do it alone if we're just 13 percent of us so we need you all to be right alongside of us saying hey we we agree we need more women in this profession and yet you look at places like new zealand where they've got recruit classes that are 50 50 now on a regular basis that's awesome yeah that is awesome they're doing it right yeah they're doing it right LAPD, they did a presentation and they were talking about how their numbers of women recruits have increased. And that's definitely something, you know, celebrate and applaud. And what sort of things can agencies do? Because I, I still run into around here, you can still run into agencies with 30, 40 people and they have a token woman just to, so they don't get sued for not having any women, pretty much. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, really? Is that where you yeah. are? Come yeah. on. I think that. What, uh, what can we do to get them into this century? This conference, Nali Conference, all these conferences is what I, I say. We come to, leaders come to these conferences, I believe, to do what I call sharpen your servant skills. Okay, so explain what that means. Yeah. Yeah. So what that means, just like yesterday when I went to listen to LAPD talk about what they're doing, there were tons of chiefs, assistant chiefs in that room. It was standing room only. And these people are listening and taking notes, hopefully and say it, okay, that makes sense. Maybe I, we can do that. How do we get more women recruits? 
How do we get more engaged with the community? They're doing some fabulous things in LA. They're a community outreach and programs they have, and they shared all that. We can't hoard information. When we find something that works, we have to share it. But we have to also test these things to see if they're really working. If they're really working, that's yeah. true. Because we have to start dumping some stuff that isn't working. Yeah, and we, we you know, sometimes we're data-driven too. I mean, we can get Not so Not as often as up. we want to be, I yeah. think, but we're getting there. Yeah, yeah, we are. I, I, yeah, you're right, we're getting there, but I think sometimes, you know, if we only have one, two people, two women here, okay, you have two, we're, we're working to get more. So instead of harping on the two, just harping on, just two, just two. Now we're working toward getting more. We've not stopped. Don't think we're just going to stop it too. Do you think that things like union contracts hinder this kind of stuff? I often think about the inflexibility of union contracts when you want to maybe try and give people flexible working hours around childcare and these kind of things, which, though they shouldn't traditionally and still traditionally fall predominantly on women to deal with. Do we need to do more in terms of being flexible around contracts? I think it depends on the city you're in, because not all, like, we don't you have contracts. Only the union, so you don't have a contract? We don't. You don't we have don't. a contract? Mm -mm. No. No, we're not civil service. Just the departments that do, I think that the union membership should tell their executive board, you want, we want you to make this a part of your negotiating, that women have opportunities, that they're on light duty for uh, pregnancy, that they have some opportunities. I, and LAPD talked about that, how they came up with giving them pregnancy uniforms and you know putting them in different divisions while they're waiting to go out. Uh, you know, physical fitness in policing isn't great. There's a couple of men around who might benefit from those uniforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no. There's a couple of guys who wouldn't pass a fitness <laughs> test these days, let's face it. <laughs> Maybe they're light on their feet. <laughs> That's what I want to say. He moves, he moves quick feet. for a big lad. It <laughs> <laughs> might be light on their feet. I'm going to say that. Maybe they're working toward it. <laughs> We're, you know, that's a part of our wellness. We want everybody to be healthy. And, um, you know, all of us can do better with our eating habits, keeping our stress levels down. <laughs> I just want to know how you start that conversation. Would, <laughs> would you like a pregnancy uniform? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, no. We would definitely be sent to, uh, they would go to employee relations or somewhere to file on us if we did that, there would definitely be some discriminatory remarks. Right. But we just want to encourage. And uh, sometimes that can be done through peer pressure too. I mean, you know, leadership doesn't have to do it. Your coworker, your partner might say, hey, I want you to be healthy. You know, I enjoy working with you. Let's work out. You know, it, it may just need some encouragement, so. We've got EEO and that kind of stuff now. Yeah. So what are the things that people need help with in the mentorship side now that they, that they need now that haven't in the past? I think to be open for somebody to be open. It, for years, I know when I came along, you could, wouldn't dare walk up to a chief and say, hi, you know, you just kind of wave from afar. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of conversation back then, but- Wave, you wouldn't even make eye you contact. You wouldn't even make eye contact. But now, again, when I see chiefs, assistant chiefs, majors, you know, captains, we've taken the time to stop and have a conversation in the hallway with someone and willing to give advice, guidance. I just think that that means the world because here, even though the, the training is excellent here, but some of the conversations and networking is powerful. And sometimes the other thing, it's not, not always about work. Somebody could be having a situation where they're having marital issues, ch childcare issues, children issues, and they just may need your example of, okay, how did you navigate this? How, you know, I have my spouse, I work 
uh, nights and my spouse is getting frustrated because they have to do all the stuff with the kids. How do I navigate that? And they could be talking to somebody and said, you know, this is how it worked for me. This is almost an argument not for specialist mentorship, but this is almost a, a broader argument for mentorship and policing more generally. Yes. We should just do more mentorship sure, with more good people. More mentorship, yes. And make sure that, you know, it's balanced because sometimes work can be so consuming that it affects your personal life. Yeah. And vice versa, your personal life, things can start happening and be so consuming that now it's affecting my work life. Most departments now definitely have psychologists on staff. A lot of the larger ones do. But we have like employee assistance programs. You can be referred out. A lot of departments are doing some outstanding things around the wellness part where they're bringing in, you know, the yoga. So they're showing they care about your well-being because we feel like a mentally healthy and physically healthy officer is not only good for the department, but for the community that we serve. I mean, not just mentoring women, I think is really important, but also, especially when even we only have, what, three, four percent of leaders in policing in the United States are women. But the number of black women is in those leadership positions is tiny. It's yes, absolutely it's tiny. tiny. Yeah, it is. Uh, is there a different kind of mentoring process for, for black women? I don't think so. Because obviously I'm in Philadelphia and mm -hmm. you know, I've spoken with Daniel Outlaw and it's, it's tough in Philadelphia yeah, for, yeah. for Daniel. It's tough in Philadelphia for everybody right now. We're right. coming up on the record number of homicides for this year. Carmen Best obviously had a, you know, an exciting time yeah, in did. Seattle. Yeah. It feels like the expectations are almost so high for black women yeah. especially. It's almost insurmountable, isn't it? Yeah, you do feel it because there's two things that you are working from female and black. I believe when I say mentoring shouldn't be different, mentoring is mentoring, which when you're committed to pouring into someone, encouraging, that may just mean encouraging them. Uh, so that's what I mean by that. But we have to find a way as women, even black women, to do a better job of supporting each other. Um, I saw Carmen Best yesterday. Yeah. And and just her joie de vivre is infectious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, she's like, she's just like so so happy right now, right? Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> Don't no phone calls at two in the morning. Because <laughs> no. when the phone goes at two in the morning, right. it's never good. Yes. It's never on somebody yes. on the other end of saying, "Sorry to wake you, chief, but everything's great." Right, right, right. I was talking to a young lady. She's an assistant chief. And she said, I've got late night phone calls every day I've been here. I, she said, I'm trying to tell them, I'm in Texas. I'm trying to enjoy the conference. But it goes with the territory. I always yeah, tell people to go with the zeros. <laughs> That's why you had the extra zeros. That's what it goes with. But I, I think if we can do a better job of being encouraging to each other, because if you think about it, chiefs and leaders, we're always encouraging everybody else. Who encourages us? Right. <laughs> Who pours into us? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as the only encouragement you need is, well, you've still got a job. you still got a job. Because the job tenure is laughably short it in is. policing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, every, at the it feels like, level. Oh, yeah. It feels like everybody is one bad shooting away from unemployment. Right. And sometimes you blame for something that somebody else did. It's brutal, isn't it? It's just brutal. And then that's your legacy. That's your career. Right. Now you've given somebody else control over the narrative how you go out of, in this profession. Yeah. And sometimes it just seems so unfair. Eventually, everybody blames the chief for bad decisions of an officer. It's, it's horribly unfair. It's horribly because unfair. you're getting blamed for a decision of an officer that you didn't train. You didn't train. You him. didn't hire. But and you, but you didn't you had, supervise. And you had expectations for it to be done right. Yeah. That was your and that was the mandate you put out there. 
you saw they have the policy, they have the guidelines, and your expectations was they did the right things were done in the academy, right things done in the field training program. But when they derail, you're blamed for it. Right. I worry that we'll end up with people taking on the chief's position. They're going to end up being horribly risk-averse and just not take any risks. And when you're not taking risks, you're not trying new things. Mm. You're not, not being innovative. You're not being innovative. You're not trying different ways of recruiting. Right. I, I was hoping that evidence-based policing and trying new things would expand more quickly in the United States than it has. But I also understand that, you know, I, I would come to you as a chief and say, right. we'd like to try some different ways of trying recruiting, and we'll find out whether they work or not. And I'm sure as chiefs, they're, they're thinking, oh, if you find it doesn't work, that could be really bad for right. me. It could be career damaging. Yeah. And so what we've, we've got, and it feels like post-George Floyd, is everybody so risk-averse, we're not we're just failing conventionally if we're going to fail at all because nobody wants to take a risk. Everybody's horribly risk-averse right now. Am I wrong? You're right. Everybody has a boss. I always say everybody has a sergeant. <laughs> so, gee, all these people are here, but is your boss here? Is the chief's boss here? The mayor, the city manager, the assistant city manager. When are they educated on... <laughs> They're not. <laughs> They're not. They're not. And they hold everybody's career in their hands and yes. they don't know a damn yes. thing about this job. Yes. Yes. I mean, I love IACP and yeah. I think it's a fantastic meeting and the organization is fantastic. They are great. But I almost feel like we're preaching to the choir. We're preaching to the choir. And we need to start dive bombing into the city and county managers yes. association yes. and the mayor's meetings and saying, this is how it is have a track here for them yeah but it's so easy just to throw the police chief under the bus it is get another police chief it is and it's as if the, the slate's wiped clean but you know i don't think the community they, they don't fall for it i don't think i don't think they a lot of the behind the scenes they really don't know right i don't think you know they only you only put out there what you want them to know yeah and so i think sometimes if they really knew the whole picture they would maybe speak up more and say you know this is not the chief's fault but I don't know. I everybody we say transparency. We say we want to be authentic, our authentic selves. We want to be transparent. We want you to know what we're doing. But do we really want that? Right. Do we want the scrutiny? Transparency is a really interesting one. As we move to more open data, and people can see data more often, there are some people who use data in really positive ways. People like Jeff Asher that will put nuance on the data, and you can read their articles in the New York Times or in Vox that actually explains the complexity of modern policing. But your average city newspaper, I've never seen them use more of the data we give them in any positive way. It's always used as a quick, as a hit and run. A hit and run, that's it. Yeah. And they're looking for the negative. Yes. That's what sells news. So if your numbers are looking good, oh, we don't want that. You know, oh, but why is your numbers drop here? So it's almost like they're looking for that, got you. I'm almost in intrigued to sort of say, we're not releasing this data because it needs too much understanding of context yeah. to understand the data, but it, I don't know. Yeah, but most agencies now are posting it on their website. Yeah. But I think the only time you can really get to delve into explanations is when you go to community meetings. And, you know, we got it during COVID. I think that hurt us because we weren't going to face-to-face. -face. Yeah. Nobody was getting on Zoom because they were Zoomed out. So I, I think we're now we're trying to catch up again. Well, I mean, half the trouble we're going to face-to-face -face meetings nowadays, I've got to keep putting trousers back on. That's true. That's true. <laughs> For Zoom, I could get away with it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I was wearing my shorts and my pajamas. <laughs> I've gotten real comfortable. 
So, so now I don't want to do that anymore. So just like every place, how do we get people back? We want to hold these meetings and you get three or four, even three or four people. I looked at National Night Out years ago. It's everybody really changed, would come out. It? it has changed. And I really thought to myself, you know, are we, is there really an impact doing National Night Out? Because people aren't coming. They're That's coming a really out. good question. And I, I hate to be a naysayer, but, you know, I did warn you when yeah, we you first started. Me, you yeah. warned me. <laughs> but, you know, there's being a, a, a cynic, I, to some degree, I'm channeling a British commander called Alex Murray, or a, a deputy chief constable now. But I want people to do less in some regards. I want us to do less of the things that don't work yeah, and more of the things that do. But we don't know yet. Yes. So we see a lot of investment in things like National Night Out yes. and these athletic leagues. And I, and I hope they work, but I can't tell you they work. If you start a police department from scratch, yeah. I don't think we're in a great position to tell you all the things that you, where you can save money and not yes. do. Yes. We do our National Night Out in October in uh, Texas, the first Tuesday in October. What's the weather like then? It's not as hot. As it is in August, you know it's still warm. You know, so this is the first night you're not going to like desiccate and dehydrate, just go for a walk around the block. Yeah, it's not oven hot. Did you grow up there, by the way? Is Houston home? San Antonio. I grew up in San Antonio. Okay, so you're used to that weather. I'm used to it. I'm used to it. I went to several national night out events, and I'm just like, it's very few. It's like some some places it's more police officers than it is community members. So it's very few people coming out even if people don't know their neighbors like they used to right you know maybe COVID may have something to do with it. it was already going in that direction you think i think so the loss of community yeah loss of community and it's particularly bad in those communities where there's a lot of turnover people yes. are renting they're coming in and out in and out and of that's course, it there yeah. are communities that are the ones that are often most plagued by violence yes I, just, I mean i think just a lot of departments are struggling with a whole range of things to come back to your work in the transit lease system what are the things that you're seeing? What are you like? Every into? transit property pretty much is homeless. That's everybody's number one issue. You know how to deal with that, and it's not against the law to be homeless. So it's really not a police issue. So what we've done is uh, we've hired clinicians, and we team a clinician up with a police officer. And a lot of agencies have done that now. We're actually evaluating it. We look. We've randomized shifts, so we've got some shifts where it's the officer on their own, mm-hmm. and some shifts where it's the officer with the specialist or the okay. clinician. Okay. And we're seeing what the impacts are in terms mm-hmm. of helping encourage the vulnerable community because mm-hmm. it's not just homelessness; it's opioid yes. addiction okay. and mental yeah. health mental and alcohol health. and yes. so forth. It encourage them into treatment and shelter. Yes. A lot of police departments are They're doing, doing it. it. Yeah, and but so it's still that's a struggle. It is a struggle because a lot of them don't want to go to a shelter. No, and we see that you know the same ones. It's just a repeat, yeah. you know, over and over. It's that community. Everybody's on first name terms. Yes, but see the fact that you have customers using the system, and they want you know to be able to get on the system without having to sit by somebody who may they think may be homeless or doesn't look like they look or smell like they smell. Some what we're trying to educate them is a lot of the uh, social service organizations give them fair medium. We can't deny them based on what, how they look or how they smell. That's if they right. have fair. Yeah. So we're having to educate the regular riders. This is some of the issue is that they, they have fair medium. If they, if they pay, pay their, their or, fare. as you say, somebody's paid their fare for them. Yes. I've had officers tell me that they feel some of the social service agencies, especially some of the non-governmental ones, are very well-meaning, but appear to be almost enabling yes. a continuation of people living a lifestyle that is un- unhealthy and not healthy for the economy of the city. Mm-hmm. Are you experiencing uh, this? Yes, con- we are. You feel that mm-hmm. way too? Yes. Good-hearted citizens just coming 
to those areas where they are gather and just giving them food, giving them money, blankets, and they they mean well, and I know what they do, but again, it does not help um, them get off the streets, no. and it makes the law enforcement job hard. Is there a solution to that? I had was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago, and they said, "What can we do?" <laughs> I just threw the five hundred million dollar question at you. If you got the answer to that, uh, my, my response to them was, "Wake up every day and keep trying. We're just gonna keep trying." I don't. <laughs> There's no answer for that, I don't think. We just we just keep trying, looking at maybe some other cities that may be doing it. Bill Branton said to me, it's the problem that started in the 1950s with deinstitutionalization and changes to how we treat people with mental health. Yes. And now we're paying a price for it 70 years later, yes. 60, 70 that's years good, later. That's a very good point. It is our issue, so that's why we have to keep trying. Hopefully, if we can get one person off the street, We've had some really good stories that our teams have came back and shared of getting housing for people, getting a, a mother and her son where they ended up homeless here in Houston. They were able to get them a ticket back to, to a family member. You know, we celebrate those good stories and they come once in a while. But we said, OK, that's a good story. We may have 10 bad ones, but we got one. So we just keep trying. Your optimism is indestructible, isn't it? It's indestructible. Oh, my goodness. Even a bitter old twisted cynic like me is coming away from this feeling a bit better about the world. Never thought that was possible. <laughs> what's, what's next for you? Um, I'm just going to keep doing what I do. I mean, not, not in this business, but I think for me, keep trying to share where I can. I, I always say I'm going to do the I, the impact, impart, and influence where I can. <laughs> well, so. I, I know. I, I've got to tell you. It is lovely to meet somebody who's got such a fantastic reputation and you've stayed in the same <laughs> agency just, just doing what you do. Doing what this I has do. been absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Thanks ever so, so much for spending so some much. time with me. Thank it's you been so great, much. Vera. Thank you. Thank you. Are you going to go to the uh, Chiefs Night no, Out? I'm not. No. No, I'm not going. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go back home. I'm going home. I'm going to catch a flight later tonight. Oh, that's yeah. a shame. I'm going to go simply because there's very few times I'm anywhere where I see people wearing cowboy hats. <laughs> And not, not ironically. You know, you were saying you're a cynic. I know you're not a cynic. Well, there's no way you can have a beautiful girlfriend and be a cynic. I wouldn't stay with any man. I wouldn't be around him if he was negative all the time. So I know you're just saying that. She, she'll figure me out eventually. But for now, yeah, I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> you are. Thank you, you so are. much. Thank you so much. Enjoy tonight. That was episode 56 of Reducing Crime, recorded in Dallas, Texas, in October 2022. New episodes are announced on Twitter at underscore reducing crime, and my personal random ramblings can be found at Jerry underscore Ratcliffe. Don't forget the underscores. Subscribe to this podcast at Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, or wherever you pod, because missing an episode would be a travesty. Be safe, and best of luck. Music